Hi, welcome back to the Progress Podcast, having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley, and I'm here in Colorado Springs today with Julie, Sla- Dr. Julie Slattery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to get your title right. <laughs> Thank you. You're so approachable, I forget <laughs> that you are a doctor. And she's an author, and she is the CEO, Executive Director of Authentic Intimacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the name of your, you have uh, several books, but your most recent one is Rethinking Sexuality. Yes, mm-hmm. so good, where you talk about this covenant mm-hmm. piece of our sexuality which is one of the things I want to ask you about today. Sure. So just for everybody to know, we have this podcast to practice having conversations about the very difficult abortion issue. Yeah. And so the format is for us just to have a conversation. And Julie, you don't even know what I'm going to ask you, which I think is great. <laughs> We're going to really just have this conversation today. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Because when you enter into a conversation with a friend, you don't know what they're going to ask you. Right. Exactly. So we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and our experience. And and the things I want to ask you have been a bit burning on my heart lately. So I'll tell you both of them and we can handle them in whatever order. Um, But the first is, so I work with a lot of Christian pastors and leaders trying Mm -hmm. to make the church a safe place for a woman facing an unintended pregnancy. And, um, right now women don't go to the church. There's statistics that Mm -hmm. very few of them will tell anyone at their church. This is just church going women. Yeah. They'll just have an abortion. Yes. So there's a lot of silence around that. And then, you know, that grieves pastors, of course, and all of us. And and then when they want to enter into the conversation, one of the issues is, well, there's a piece that happened before the pregnancy, if a woman's not married. Mm-hmm. And how do we deal with that? The sex outside of marriage, right? Because right. now we can see it. But what's happening behind the scenes, we talk about our training, is a lot of Christians are engaged in sex outside of marriage, or there's pornography addictions happening. We're here um, today, the Southern Baptist is having their annual convention, mm-hmm. talking about all the sexual abuse that's been silent and buried. So what I wanted to ask you is, you know, why do we keep this so hidden? Because to me, the secrecy and the silence around it and the shame around it is hurting all of us. And then it's driving women to have abortions. And then we're standing up protesting saying, don't have an abortion, but we're actually part of the problem Yeah, because we don't talk about our sexuality in healthy ways. And then all of that angst gets directed towards a woman who's pregnant or in this issue. So Does that make sense? It does. It's a big question. No, it's really describing the situation that we're in and and really what my heart is to do in ministry. You're modeling healthy conversations Mm -hmm. about abortion. My job is to model healthy conversations about the larger issues of sexuality that include abortion and premarital sex and LGBTQ and you, you name it, Me Too, all the things that we're talking about in culture that somehow we don't know how to talk about Right. In a a God honoring way in the church. And they're connected, you know, and it's like as much as I don't want it to be connected, because I like to have the abortion conversation separately, because I think we've almost over connected it to this one population. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have to have it because it is all connected. Yes. And it's driving our silence. And and then I do want you to end today. So I want you to address that. But I also want to get to your um and I'll probably won't say it right, your theology of the covenant mm-hmm. um, sure. design of sexuality, because I just think that's so hopeful and full of healing. And I want to make sure we get to that place, because I do think there's hope. But I think we have to talk about the dark stuff first to understand it before we can get to hope. So, Yeah, well, you're absolutely right that the church is very awkward about talking about sexual issues. And uh, we've 
we've really inherited a tradition that has this unspoken rule that Christians don't talk about sex. Right. And if they do, it's this uh, strange conversation that happens once every few years, right. and it's preachy, and it's everybody's uncomfortable, and everybody makes like jokes that right. make you more uncomfortable. <laughs> and the same thing happens in the Christian family, where have you had the talk? Right. And because we've adopted that that tradition, we've assumed that the underlying reason for that tradition is biblical, and it's really not. Mm. Mm. The Bible talks about every aspect of sexuality and does so openly. So God's not afraid for us to have these conversations. He created sexuality. So good. And he doesn't just want us to talk about it from a 30,000-foot view. I think the church should be the safe place for women to ask questions like, are sex toys okay? Right. Is masturbation okay? Right. Uh, what if my husband wants to do this and I'm not sure if it's all right? Uh, how do I stop having flashbacks from my sexual trauma yeah. on and on and on, you know, these very specific detailed questions, yeah. most people and, and that includes women feel a tremendous shame, right. Bringing these issues up. Right. Okay. I'm going to tell you, so I grew up in a Christian home. No one even told me that women have orgasms. If we're going to talk about mm-hmm. this, like I, I found that out from a magazine in a supermarket after I graduated college. What women have orgasms? <laughs> I've never heard this. Supposed to. (laughs) Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems if we focused on that? But I'm just trying to say, I was raised in the church. I heard over and over, don't have sex outside of marriage. Don't have sex. Don't, and even this language, don't let a boy go too far. Even the books I read before I got married, one of the books I read was, um, I won't name the name of the book, but it said that sex was the top need for men and it didn't even make the top five for women. And these are Christian authors. Mm -hmm. And then someone in my ministry, a leader in my ministry said, I give my husband husband listen to this wording I give my husband sex every time he asks because if if I don't someone else will so yes. it's this prohibitive misogynist mm-hmm. that I ingested as biblical yeah and it's not yeah I do too and when I look back even at some of the teaching that I was doing 10 15 years ago that's the paradigm that we were working yeah. from yeah. and uh, and I've had to tear a lot of that down and rebuild what actually is biblical yeah and so we we're coming from this tradition of silence yes and because the church is silent and awkward we we believe God is silent yeah, and, and he's awkward, awkward and he's yeah. uncomfortable with it right like you know like somehow he leaves the room when we have sex right it's like no don't do that again <laughs> uh, instead of understanding that he created intentionally, Every aspect of us, including our sexuality. And yeah. he understands our temptations, our shame, our sin, yeah. our desires, our longings. It's all part of what it means to be human. Right. And he understands that. And I think what we're shifting towards now, which is better than silence, but it's still not adequate, is a problem-solving mentality right. of talking about sexuality. Where okay, we're, what do you mean? Like, well, I mean, sort of that whack-a-mole approach where mm-hmm. we're identifying in the Christian church these issues that can no longer be ignored, right? Like pornography, um, like you know, young couples just moving in and living together. Right. Do we just ignore that? We can't anymore because right. so many are doing it, right? Like talking about homosexuality and gay marriage, gender fluidity. Right. It's so common now that we have to talk about it, right? But we're approaching it as how do we get people out of this sin and that sin and and control their behavior instead of saying, wait a minute, all these are connected 
and people are confused and Christians are struggling because they don't even know what wholeness is supposed to be. Right. And they don't feel like this is a safe place to wrestle through. All right, if that's what wholeness is, then I'm really broken. And right. where do I go from here? And what t- speak to what silence has done to make the problem worse. Like yeah. what, what is it that the silence does to us, to our leaders, yeah. to our kids? You know, what yeah. happens as we've refused to talk about it for decades? So yes, there's the wrong information I mm-hmm. share, but then the silence where mm-hmm. I couldn't go and ask those questions or couldn't go. We wrestled a lot after we were married because of all these lies that we had ingested and no, there was nowhere to go. Yeah. So what does silence do yeah. To us. Well, a few things. First of all, silence makes us split off our sexuality from our spirituality. Mm. And so we have this yes. wall where we're like, okay, I can love God and serve God. And here's the church me. Yeah. But sex is different. God doesn't really say much about it and he must not care that much about it. So I'm okay just going by whatever rules I feel like are fine and even when we're struggling with sexual shame or sin, we don't feel like we can bring that before God because the reinforcement and modeling has been the church doesn't talk about sex, so I'm a horrible person if I, if mm. I even have these questions. Mm. Uh, so it's creating that, that split-off approach of the sexual me and the spiritual me without understanding that it's all integrated. Yeah. And would you say that even for Christian leaders? Because I, I really want to explore the question of how we've been silent as leaders, so we're not extending grace to people who are hurting from this. Do you see that in leaders as well? Is it more complex with their silence? You know, speak to what you've seen. And so you think of that average pastor who knows that he needs to begin addressing sexuality in his church. But if he's a man of integrity, he's wrestling through, how can I talk about this when I'm a mess? Yeah. And I can't tell you how many pastor's wives Mm. I interact with who have so much sexual brokenness, Mm. but... They have nowhere to say that, to nowhere to go. And so that pastor, that couple, that that uh, that Christian leader is stuck. Mm-hmm. I know I need help. I know my congregation needs help. But if I raise my hand and say I'm broken, then I might lose my job. Mm-hmm. I certainly lose the respect of the people following me. That's what they believe. Mm-hmm. And so that silence gets reinforced. Or if they do talk about sexuality, uh, it can come across as very judgmental, right very legalistic because they're, they don't have the freedom to get into the weeds of how complicated all of this is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll go back and forth between my two questions because I'm dying to ask you why it's so complicated and for you to go into your theology of covenant and we can come back to the problem too. But I just, when I heard you explain this, Mm -hmm. I just thought, yes, this, this makes so much sense, and this is the path to wholeness for all of us. So yeah. launch in with that. Yeah. So even when you use the word theology, you lost some people. Okay, like, sorry. Okay, what so, do you call it? So what I call it is is a narrative. Okay. Because we, we like that word in our culture. A narrative helps make sense of something. Okay. And when I teach this, I talk about three narratives of sexuality. The first narrative is a cultural narrative. The cultural narrative says that your sexuality is all about your individual expression. It's about mm-hmm. your identity. Yes. And really, there's no morality attached to it. Right. The only immoral thing you can do is violate someone else's autonomy. Right. But otherwise, go for it. Explore. Yes. So that's the narrative that I would say a lot of, even a lot of Christians are walking with today yes. without realizing it. And you call that the cultural narrative. Yes. Totally makes sense. Okay. And so the Bible doesn't make sense to them, even right. as Christians. Like, why right. would God say, I can't do this? Mm. 
It's all about discovering who I am. Why would God get in the way of that? The purity narrative is what you're referring to. What I heard. Yes, mm -hmm. the traditional church narrative. Yeah. I would say it's it's based on a half-truth. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and explain that, but I'm tracking with you. Yeah, so, you know, the purity narrative says God designed sex for marriage. Yep. You should not only not have sex, you should not be sexual. That's Yes, until <laughs> so you get married. Into truth, yeah. Right? Okay, right, 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 right. And if you can restrain and not have sex before marriage and be modest and not cause a guy to stumble, yeah. God someday will bring Prince Charming into your life. Yes. And you will have this amazing sex life and unrestrained, unbridled passion. Yes. And so, uh, and so we look in the scripture and like, okay, there's pieces of that there. Yes. But it's not the whole truth. No, and it screwed me up. Mm -hmm. And you're I think the only it screwed one. up my husband. All right, yeah. and here I am, and that was grace for all. But well, you're just naming it so well. That's exactly, and I, because I still get triggered when I see people kind of rebelling against the quote-unquote purity mm -hmm. narrative. But when you describe it like that, mm -hmm. no wonder, because you're right, it's full of half-truths and then full of, well, what else is it full of? Just, yeah. it's not God's well, truth. It's not his heart. No, it's not, and... What we're seeing happening, I think particularly among women in their 30s, 40s, is they've been so hurt by the purity narrative mm -hmm. that they're now going to the cultural narrative. Which is just as damaging. Right. Yeah. But there's books being written about it. Yes. Uh, but, I've read one of them. Yeah. Yeah. By you a know, pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. take, for example, also the single woman who feels like God promised me Prince Charming. Yes. I've done my part of the equation. <laughs> Where is he? Right. Or uh, like me, I got married and sex was really awful for the for the first decade. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, this isn't at all what I was promised. I checked all the boxes in the purity narrative and I now right. I have terrible sex. Yeah. Yes. Same thing happened to me. And my yes. friend over here who yes. explored everything <laughs> is having a great time. That's not fair, God. No. Um, yeah. Or wow. even things like where does somebody who's been sexually abused fit in the purity narrative? Right. Uh, and we've they, missed that, right? We've mm -hmm. been silent about that. I, no one ever talked to me about that. And I look back now, I'm counting one in four, looking at my friends, how they acted, going, I know that they were hearing that purity narrative with me, and we missed them. Right. We, there's no place. But the, the worst thing about the purity narrative is it's not consistent with the gospel. No, it's not. So good, Julie. No, it's not. Like, I'm getting healed right here. <laughs> it's but it, it essentially is saying, and I don't think people meant it to say this, but it's almost like you can be pure if you make the right sexual choices. Right. And you're Just, impure if you don't. And the gospel is that none of us are pure. Thank you. And our righteousness yes. comes through Jesus Christ. And yes. my purity might, my journey might look different than yours. Right. My sin looks different than yours. But there's no us versus them of you did it right, you did it wrong. Right. You deserve this, you deserve that. Right. And so, uh, and so it really has separated people from the heart of God. Yes. Which and it is, brings shame because there's no shame in the gospel either. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes, but especially in sexuality is a place I think shame can take root. Like I am a bad person if I struggle sexually. Yeah. And I see this because we're transferring that then to the women who come in pregnant. You can see that Christians are under shame because they're projecting it. Yes, exactly. Does that make sense? It, it does for sure. <sighs> yeah. So then what's the narrative that's going to lead us out of all? I like, I, I'm so excited. This is why we wanted to do two podcasts. I oh. love talking to you. What's the narrative that's going to bring hope and healing to all of us? And I, I think this is important. We need to be healed first as Christians, right? So this mm -hmm. isn't, oh, let's, how can we extend grace 
to these poor women facing unintended pregnancy. It's like, no, 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 we all are the same. I love that you brought that up. Mm -hmm. And we need healed first before we extend it to people at different parts, different places in their journey. Absolutely. And we have to acknowledge that we're all still on that journey of healing. I, I haven't arrived that otherwise it feels like, oh, we're helping out, right. patting people on the head. But it's like, no. The Christian life was never meant to be that. It was no. like, follow me because I'm following Christ. Exactly. And this is going to get messy, but <laughs> right. he's in it. But he's in it. And, and I know that if he reveals a mess, he's going to walk me through it. And yeah, yeah okay, yeah. good. So what's our third narrative that brings that hope or that wholeness? Yeah, well, there isn't one. No, oh, just kidding. Shoot. <laughs> but but Stop on the podcast. No, I'm but kidding. think about your experience and all you've probably experienced is those two narratives that are hurtful. And that's where most people are stuck. Yeah. The third narrative is is what I call the biblical narrative. And I, yeah. I truly hope that it is the heart of God. Yeah. And I believe it's revealed in scripture, but it's a little more complicated for people to grasp. And I think that's why most Christians don't know it. Mm. But we'll kind of, I'll teach it through dialoguing with you. Yeah, because okay? honestly, when you heard it, and maybe because I'd been wounded by the purity narrative, and I knew I didn't agree with the cultural narrative, I got it right away. So okay. there, you are really gifted to say this. So preach it. Okay. And right. I'll ask any questions as it goes, but it made sense to me. Okay. So. Well, let me just even start by by talking you through this. <laughs> Do you believe that everything in the physical world God created, he created, he created intentionally? Okay. I'm waiting for, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you, making sure you're not going to trick me with any of these questions. Yeah, they're pretty easy questions. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> do. And do you believe that he intentionally created them with the intent of expressing himself? Yes. Yeah. And I so, and his goodness. Yeah. yeah. So every physical thing, and we see this through scripture everywhere, every physical thing is an echo of of an eternal truth. Yes. Like the psalmist talks about the stars and the universe and yes. the mountains. And uh, we, we see in scripture concepts like hunger. You know what yeah. it is to be hungry for food. Well, now you can understand a bit of what it is to hunger for God. Yes. Or be thirsty, living water, a water that keeps giving. Yes. And so when you look at Jesus' teaching, as well as the teaching throughout the whole scripture, you see constant references to physical things that we can experience to help us understand spiritual things that are harder to grasp. Now, the same is true with our sexuality, that we're not just randomly sexual so we can have babies. Just, yeah. Okay, stop. I just want to stop and think about this. Yeah. It's the same thing. We live, we're here in the mountains, and you feel God when you look at the mountains. Right. And you sense him, and you say your creation, and you're saying it's the same with our sexuality. But again, I have not heard this taught before I heard you say it. Okay. I want to take a minute for that to yeah. sink in with everybody. So go ahead, say it again, and then yeah. I won't interrupt you. So we have to then ponder, why did God create us as sexual yeah. people? Right. Why did he make the sexual drive so strong? So strong. Why did he make us so that men and women have orgasms? Right, and so differently. Uh-huh. Why are we so different in how that yes. works? And was there intentionality even in that? We have to assume that there was, mm-hmm. because otherwise our sexuality really is cut off from the rest of creation. Mm. And we see that from the beginning, God created male and female. There's yep. marriage and sex happening in Genesis, right and right. it's good. Right. And so we we have to ponder what I is the that. spiritual significance of our sexuality. And the I scripture. love that. What is the spiritual significance of our sexuality? And the problem with the silence, going back, is we've fractured it off. Yep. 
and so, made it something to manage rather than pondering what's the spiritual significance right. of it. And we don't just have to ponder it because the scripture reveals the spiritual significance. It's not just me making this up. I know. I trust that it's <laughs> so um so if if you've read the Old Testament, for example, a lot of the Old Testament prophets use sexual language to describe Israel's infidelity yes. with God. Yes, right. He, he, call, he calls them adulterers, yep. harlots, prostitutes, and says, you've broken covenant with me. Yes. And in Ezekiel um, 15 and 16, it goes into really detailed sexual language as a metaphor of a virgin who's on the side of the road. She's in her own blood. Oh, my gosh. This man comes and cleans her up and marries her and beautifies her, and then she runs off to be unfaithful. Same with Hosea. Yeah. Such so, a powerful story. Hosea. So they're using this this real okay. picture of sexuality, of sexual purity, of sexual faithfulness, of sexual unfaithfulness, to say, God has made a covenant with you. It is a covenant of passionate love. He pursued you. He is he's covered you, just the same way in Ephesians five, Paul says to husbands, cover your wives, love her, cherish her, nurture her, protect her from evil, wash her. A cleanser to present to yourself a pure bride. And so protect her, even within marriage, protect the sanctity of her sexuality because that's what Christ does for us. Mm-hmm. And throughout Scripture, you constantly see this metaphor of sex and marriage and faithfulness is this picture of God's relationship with his people, mm-hmm. which you're like, once you get that, you're like, wow. It's all over. And I've been thinking about the passage in Ephesians about, mm-hmm. you know, Christ. This is a metaphor. Hall of marriage is a metaphor for Christ in the church. Like yeah. when you sit and ponder that, yeah, he could have picked any metaphor for Christ in the church, but he he says it's marriage. I and mean, he, he not only picked it, he, remember, he, he designed he it. He created it that yes, way. He designed it. But and he, he could have designed it a million other ways. And he, he didn't just design marriage. He designed its sexuality also as a metaphor. Yes, now speak to that. So we're comfortable with saying he designed marriage as a metaphor. Of course, that fits in the purity narrative. Yes, but we're not so comfortable extending that to sexuality. Mm. But the scripture extends it to sexuality. So good. Um, Why why will there be a wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation? Mm. What happens at a wedding? You know, it's our honeymoon. We're Mm. united with Christ Will there be sex? I don't think so. Sex is the metaphor. It'll be better than sex. But but it's almost like God is saying the best sex a husband and wife can have doesn't compare with what it will be when we're united with him. Wow. Okay. So do you think he gave... So the sex is is the metaphor. It's the picture of, you know, the drive is so strong. We think this is so great. This is nothing compared to right. the eternal bliss yeah. of being connected with our husband, Jesus, our our bridegroom. Right. And if but here's the thing. If you start worshiping the metaphor, mm. you're gonna be unsatisfied because yep. it was not meant to satisfy you. Right. And you'll miss the picture of what it's meant to point to. Yeah. Um, you know, marriage is not the end all. A great sex is life is not the end all. No. Uh, don't worship the metaphor. And I feel like part of the impurity narrative is worshiping the metaphor. So both the cultural narrative and the parody narrative worship the 
metaphor. Yeah. It sounds like Satan might be involved in this. I think so. <laughs> Half truths, worshiping yeah, the wrong so. thing. You look at how he tempted Jesus, like, uh-huh. oh, same game. Yeah. When the truth of God, the fullness of God is actually so much richer. Mm-hmm. It's almost like both narratives dumb down God's intentionality or yeah. God's plan for us. Everyone knows that there's something spiritual about sexuality. Uh, the pagan knows that. Yeah. The atheist knows that. Yeah. Any religion, you know that there's something unique about sexuality. But we can't put our finger on what it is. And so the the cultural narrative distorts it. It makes it your identity. Yeah. The purity narrative makes it really legalistic. Yeah. And this is how you attain righteousness. Yeah. Uh, but it's spiritual because of what it, it represents and what it calls us to. And Satan will do anything he can to keep us from the reality of understanding. This is to teach me about the great, the great passion and faithfulness of God's love for me. Wow. So speak more to what sex as a metaphor is supposed to lead us to. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what is it a metaphor for? What are we supposed to be seeing? You know, why was God so intentional with it? Have you ever in your relationship with God felt like you were going through the motions? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Where Decades. You go, you go to church, read your Bible, but yeah. there's no connection. Yeah. Have, I, you, yeah. have you ever in your marriage sexually felt like you were going through the yep. motions? Like, we're doing it, but there's no intimacy? Yep. You see the parallel? Yep. Totally see the parallel. God in marriage calls you to enter into passion, mm. enter into intimacy, vulnerability. In the same way... You are not meant to have a relationship with God that is just about obedience. Mm-mm. You are meant to worship him with your whole being. And be loved by him. It's this reciprocal passionate love, right? Because yeah. I was also raised with a narrative, it's my job to love God. Yeah. And I didn't learn until my late 20s how much God loved me. And that yeah. changed everything. But that's that, that's that same half-truth you're talking about. And, it, and here's the beauty of that narrative even extended who generally, even from a physiological perspective, initiates sex? Right. Who? Well, this isn't true in my marriage, of course. Okay. But, <laughs> the man. Okay, yes. yes. Man. <laughs> All right. But but he has to, in some way, be an initiator yes. physically. Yes. In the same way who initiates love for for us. Oh, it's God. 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 You know, he, a beautiful metaphor. Yeah. And so, uh, and so I think... It's so rich when you dive deeper into what it is to be single and to long and have your body ache mm-hmm. for love. Mm-hmm. Have you read some of the Psalms that talk about my soul cries out yes. for the living God? Yes. My body aches for you. Yeah. It's the same language. Right. Well, and even Song of Solomon, you know, I think has double meaning. Yeah. You know, it is a it is a human, but there's also this longing for God that way. Right. Passionate, sexual, you know. Mm-hmm. The satisfaction that's found in him. Sex is the the metaphor for this. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now you did speak about covenant too. Can you say that? Um, you said something about all our relationship, like uh, most of our relationships are transactional. Yeah. If I, did I hear you right? You say did, that? yeah. I don't, know, I don't know where you heard it, but yes, I did say that somewhere. Um, yeah, so the whole thing God wants to teach us through our sexuality is about covenant and about his covenant love. And that's why sex is is meant and created to be experienced within marriage because it's the only covenant relationship we have on earth 
where it's a relationship based on a promise. Yeah. And it's a relationship secured in the character of the people entering into it. And there are no other, I want to stop, there's no other covenant relationships we have. I guess you'd say by blood, our children. Yeah. But where two people would voluntarily say... Enter into a promise. Yeah. I'm I think the only other one we have that is close, and the scripture uses this one too, is adoption. Yes. Um, yes. Where you're choosing yes. to love and nurture this yes. this child. And, and scripture uses that as you have been adopted into the family of God. Right. Uh, and so when we look at the love of God, there's an aspect of it that is paternal, that is a, a family, a, a father loving a child. He cares for us. But there's also an aspect of his love for us that is, people are going to freak out by this, but romantic. No, yes, lean into this. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Where where Jesus, we call it the passion that he died. Yeah. He sacrificed. He had such great love for us and such great love for the Father. And he, and he invites us into this love relationship. And so we have these different loves in our human relationship yeah. that are all supposed to be pointing to the full extent of that love is to know God. He's your father. You know, Christ is your husband. He's your husband. I he, mean, he calls you friend. Yeah. And so there's friendship love. Right. Uh, and every human experience of love that's good is an aspect of the kind of love that God calls us to with him. So I, I heard when I thought you said, you know, is that our, our sexuality is the thing that drives us to make this type of Crazy covenant. Yes. I've been married 26 years. It's true. I love my husband dearly. And he would tell you if he were here, it's been much harder than we thought, mm-hmm. way harder than our naive little Christian selves thought. But we are in a covenant relationship. And you say that sexuality is what motivates us to enter that. Right. And that that is in itself to lead us to long for a covenant relationship with God, which I thought was brilliant and I'd never heard before. Mm. Yeah. Sexual desire, the, the way I think of it, is the invitation to covenant. Yeah. And so uh, if we never were awakened sexually, you would never get married. Why would you? It makes uh, no sense. Right. And what, it's too hard and it's too complex. Right. And, and I have to give up too much. Right. And I think one of the greatest mm-hmm. tragedies of what we're seeing in our, our day and age today is that people understand and define their sexual desire as I need a release, not I need to be with a person. Mm. And because of that, they're not entering into covenant. Right. And they're, they're not learning about God's unfaithful. Or, let me say that again. <laughs> they're not learning about God's faithful love yes. Yes. through the physical. Uh, you and I have been married about the same amount yeah. of time. I feel like you're my sister separated at birth. <laughs> I know. But, but I have learned so much about God's love for me through the hardship mm-hmm. of living with a man for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, and wow, are we so glad that we've fought the battles we've yeah. needed to fight and yeah. asked for forgiveness and humbled ourselves. And God has made us great lovers through that. Yes. And yes. that's his big desire is to get us to enter into these relational covenants. Yeah so that we can begin to reflect on the eternal covenant he invites us into. Yeah. I, th- I just think that's so good. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about why don't we talk about God more as our husband or Jesus as our husband or bridegroom? And would could that bring healing to us at, as Christians even to, to try and integrate our sexuality and our longing for that? Um, that, yes, it's expressed with our spouse 
and even more perfectly and fully with God. And I'm actually remembering a time, if I can share a story, we were, my husband and I went through some really dark times where I literally felt like kind of abandoned, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was reading Isaiah 54. I'm going to start crying. And the Lord highlighted the verse where it says, um, the, your maker is your husband. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you feel like a wife who married young only to be rejected. And he's speaking to Israel, but it was like, he was speaking to me. Your maker is your husband. And And it was a huge time of me understanding the deep love of God, which has been my journey. Cause I, not only did I get purity narrative, but I got you lose your salvation narrative, legalistic mm-hmm. narrative. And mm-hmm. it's been the love of God, even expressed through him as my husband in that season. And that romantic nature, there were years, I just think he opened me up to understanding that. And if we were to dive into that as believers, if we were to let ourselves integrate our, and I don't know how we do this, I'm, yeah. you're the expert, but integrate our sexual longings and our sexual brokenness with a desire for this type of intimacy with God, is that our first step? I mean, what do we do to experience this wholeness? Because right now you're right, it's silence, it's shaming, it's either going with a culture narrative or legalistic. So what's the biblical God's way for us to to find that healing? Yeah. Well, first of all, we dive deeper into truth. And it's taken me about five years to really understand this this metaphor that I teach now. Oh, well, I feel a lot better than that. We don't <laughs> good. So any of us who don't fully understand, no, it, I just, five years to get I've it. just introduced it. And, <laughs> uh, and when I go back and I look at what I've written or spoken on five yeah. years ago, when I was teaching this, I got it, but not to the extent that I got mm. it today. And we're so, uh, we're so integrated into those other two narratives mm-hmm. that retraining our thinking yeah. is the first step of you know, like you might be like, wow, I've never heard this before. If you don't continue to reinforce that learning, you'll forget it and fall into right. old patterns. Because these other, these other narratives are so strong. They and are. we either probably ascribe to one or the other. Right. You know, we or, might find ourselves in the middle, I guess, mm-hmm. of both. But yeah. So, uh, so it's letting God, asking mm-hmm. God to renew our mind. Mm-hmm. But then also understanding once you see what sex was supposed to be, what it is supposed to represent, you also need to recognize that, like you mentioned, God is an enemy that will do anything he can to destroy that for yep. you. Yep. And all of us have, have had this twisted right. in one way or another. Right. And I think that's another thing we've grown up in the church thinking is only some people need help with their sexuality. And we, and we demonize those people. And I see this in the abortion issue. It happens in other issues. We make, we make sexual sins worse than others. Yeah. Or, you know, there's something attached. We attach something to it, which causes us then to hide right? if we ever struggle in that. Or if we don't struggle with it, we could become proud. And right. we're like, well, I got it. I did it right. right. Sorry for you, right? You know, and, and it creates this us versus yes. them dynamic. Yeah, and so part of that narrative is understanding that your sexuality has been and is and will be under attack. Assaulted. Yeah, I mean, but, sorry to use that yeah, word, but it really, is. it is. Yeah, and being honest about it, mm-hmm. being honest about even the shame that has come from the purity narrative yeah. that has messed it up for you, right? Uh, and being honest about the ways that you you sin and you struggle and you experience shame. Yeah. But the rest of the narrative is the gospel, that yeah. Jesus came to redeem and heal all of our humanity, including our sexuality. Yeah. And we're all on a journey of, it's, it's like this masterpiece has been vandalized, and he yes. came, he's coming to uncover all that spray paint so you can see what it was meant to be. 
Beautiful. And when you, I realize you're on that journey too. Yeah. Then I'm like, okay, let's journey together. Yes. We don't have to be ashamed that we're struggling. Yes. Or what we've experienced. Right. And you form community and friendship around honest conversations like this. Yeah. I think that's so good. And lastly, do you think, why has the enemy so attacked this? Like, is it because it's a metaphor for the love of God and he'll do anything to keep us from understanding that? Yeah. It just seems like there's so much attack around this I I believe it is. Uh, Christopher West, who teaches on a lot of this from the Catholic perspective, um, wrote something like this. He said, if you want to see what is most holy, just look at what is most aggressively defamed by the enemy. Yep. And I do believe that, and I've seen this in in people's lives, when God redeems your sexuality, you will understand him Mm -hmm. and his love for you in such profound ways, you'll never be the same. Wow. And so the enemy wants to keep that clouded for us. Yes, yes. And I think in the abortion issue, it's complicated by the fact that there's another life here too. And I don't know if you have any thoughts as we close up just for pastors and leaders who want to be able to have this abortion conversation, but this piece trips them up that there was sex outside of marriage that led to this. And we talk a lot about it in progress workshops, but I'd love to just hear your final thoughts for them, how they can go down, you know, all of us go on our own journey and, and, and be able to create a culture and be a church that is open and open enough to welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, we get stuck within the church at, at, at talking about morality. Mm. What was right? What was wrong? You sinned here. You sinned there. And we do have to call out sin because it's part of confession and getting right with God. And it destroys us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It destroys us. So. But if we only talk about morality, then we really will become the Pharisees of our day. Mm. Because the whole purpose in talking about morality is to challenge people towards maturity. And that's what Jesus did when he talked to women in the Gospels who were, who were broken in terms of their sexuality. His primary message wasn't stop doing this. Mm-hmm. His primary message was you're longing for something more. Right. And I want to lead you to that water that is healing. Yeah. And so why we need to talk about premarital sex being wrong, being not in God's will against his design we need to call people towards the bigger picture of who God wants us to be while acknowledging that again, we're all broken. Yeah. And that's what Jesus was saying to the people that were accusing the woman caught in adultery. It's not that she didn't sin. It's not that she doesn't deserve punishment, but first of all, I'm the one to forgive her because I'm God. And I'm going to take this stoning Right. right on the cross. Yes. And second of all, look at your own lives. Right. Who of you have kept this perfectly? Who listening to my voice right now can say that they have perfectly, without fault, lived out the holy metaphor of sexuality? Yeah. Nobody. No, nobody. And third, and I'll wait, wait for me to bring up a complex thing at the end. The third thing that happens in that same story is the law said a man and a woman were to be stoned. The Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery, which means there was a man there, but she was used as a trap. It says they were using him as a trap. She was used as a pawn. So she could have even been sinned against that she was engaged in this and the man wasn't brought. So I would say the third piece is if we're talking about morality or sin, let's look at the complicating ways we've all been sinned against as well in our sexuality Mm -hmm. that lead us to make 
maybe not the healthiest decision. I don't know. Speak to that in the church and yeah. what you see in this issue. Oh, for sure. Uh, even if you look at the psychological research, if you've been sexually abused, if you your father left mm. and uh, you were raised by a single mom, if you grew up in a home where there was a lot of dysfunction in your parents' marriage, these are all things that statistically mean that you're much more likely to be sexually promiscuous. Right. Because of because it's broken it's brokenness Mm -hmm. and the reason i bring that up it's not it's it's not a one-to-one causal thing but i bring that up to say that our sin never happens in a vacuum right and uh and for me this was really profound when i started working and getting to know working with and getting to know women that had experienced a lot of brokenness in their childhood and who became prostitutes Mm -hmm. uh, who masturbate compulsively, who sleep around, even though they know God, where they are in their journey of pursuing wholeness and health is different than where I am, but it's not like they're behind me. Right. And, uh, and Oh, wait, say that again. It's not like they're behind you. It's not like I'm like, Hey, keep up with me. I'm doing this. I'm so good. Like, I'm like, wow, you have so much to teach me about God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and and forgiving those who've hurt us because right. you're saying they've been they were hurt first right and but if we only look at morality and say well Julie's more moral than they are we miss the picture yeah. that God is calling us all to redemption and maturity and my sister who has been through tremendous brokenness in many ways is more mature than I am right because she's had to experience the love of God to be able to forgive the yeah. offender and and trust God and, at levels that I never yeah. have had to. And so, having wow. conversations that again level the playing field yes. and and mean that we need to learn from each other is is a whole different way of addressing premarital sex, yeah. abortion. Yeah, uh, you know, my friends listening to this who have had multiple abortions. There's something about God's love through that that he's taught you that you need to teach me. Yeah. And I better be ready to learn. Yeah, and we want to be a church. One of the greatest things that we see happening with the pro-grace training in our churches is one of the first things that starts to happen is people start to say, I have never told anybody in the church this, but I had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be every issue that we're dealing with. And it's amazing to me, It's a co- when we go in with grace about this topic, the freedom is released to, to speak. Yeah. And I want to see the same thing happen with sexuality. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today and encourage pastors and leaders to have that same type of holistic thinking about it and grace for all of us where we've messed up and to be the kind of church that would say, yeah, I struggle with this, you mm-hmm. know, because what that does is elevates the gospel. Yeah. It just elevates God, right? That he's yeah. able to bring such amazing change in the midst of such brokenness. It doesn't dumb anything down about the gospel it elevates jesus and it elevates the power of the holy spirit yeah because you confess that the only way i can get through today yeah without falling into sin is yes. dependence on the holy spirit yes and it's not about i can white knuckle this to heaven right right mm-hmm. and i think in issues of sexuality that becomes really apparent it heightens our need of dis- dependence on the father on the yeah. holy spirit yeah. on the son I do feel like we were sisters separated from birth. I could keep talking to you forever, but everybody else is probably like, ladies, (laughs) you've talked a lot. So thank you. I hope that this encourages people listening to go have conversations and and be okay if they get messy and 
know that we're all covered by that same love of God. So amen. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And everybody check out Authentic Intimacy for more from Dr. Julie Slattery.